0: So welcome guys, Chris Hammond, World of Lucid Dreaming Academy, and as you now know, we also have Lincoln Stoller, author of Becoming Lucid, Self-Awareness in Waking and Slipping on, on the line, and we're doing a live Q&A today to take all your questions on lucid dreaming. I can see we've got Devin Hardy, we've got Dustin Nice. hey Dustin, I see you. Chat is working, good to see you online mate. So folks, anytime, if you want to ask a question, just jump straight in. I hear we have the first question. This is a very interesting question. I'm curious to know the answer to it myself. During the last session, you recorded with Chris. This is referring to the interview that we did together. Uh, Lincoln, you mentioned something which you called extreme dreaming. Can you please
1: elaborate? Please elaborate. I don't remember what I was referring to with regard to extreme. If you could remind me, that would be good. Otherwise, I'll just say that um, I find there's a huge range of uh interacting with one's dream dreams that tends to get larger the more you uh exercise it the notion that there are just two kinds of dreams being lucid or not doesn't really fit my experience most uh, very rarely have i ever had the classic lucid dream where you kind of sit up and say, oh, this is a dream. You know, this is unreal or any such reflection of that sort. In almost every case, my dreams are in a middle zone where I would say that um, I either act normal or I act strange, which is to say I act as I would like to act or I don't when I'm not acting normal, you know, the whole event is sort of a puzzling adventure. And when I am acting normal, it seems to make more sense when I look back on it. You know, it's like, uh, yeah, I wanted to know that and I did make an effort to find out. But with regard to taking things to extremes, perhaps I was referring to the exercises where you put yourself in sensory isolation for a few days and force yourself to dream for, you know, tens of hours continuously. That would seem to be somewhat extreme. I may have been referring to that. Those exercises have been more uh, hallucinogenic to me than the uh, shorter hallucinogenic exercises that I've uh, been involved in using um, pharmaceuticals. Well, not pharmaceuticals, you know, jungle drugs, Um, DMT-related mushroom things. Uh, Not together, those are two different chemicals. But uh, so my point was that uh, if I isolate myself for two or three days, you know, force myself to stay prone with my eyes generally closed, then after about 24 hours, things get totally weird. And uh, I, I stopped doing that because it just got too weird. And um, it was too hard on my body. And, and you know, that's kind of well known, uh, that kind of exercise. So uh, perhaps that answers your question. But if not, let me know.
0: Have you had any, what's your experience with galantamine or or similar um, similar compounds? And I've found that for me personally, galantamine is probably the closest that I get to extreme dreaming because I find it tends to just add a whole level of, we'll put it this way, I've not had lucid dreams unassisted, um, that come close to the kind of dreams I've had using Glansomine, which is for me personally, it seems to add a kind of extra depth to the, the dream, a kind of, not only do they tend to last longer, but they tend to have a kind of, um, just a quality that's more extreme. So, have you experimented
1: at all with that kind of um, Neurogens? Not that one. Mm. There's a a over-the-counter product called Udream, which has become extremely popular. It's a sleep enhancer. And uh, I didn't find it did much for me, but I didn't didn't, uh, push it with uh, upping the dose very far and um i haven't found anything that um changed my dreams more than just getting a lot of sleep and letting myself sleep and go back to sleep repeatedly mm. you know even these um ayahuasca experiences they they tend to you tend to sleep like a rock after those you read a lot about microdosing these days and i tried it and found it no good at all for me, made me psychotic. And I did try with various doses over a couple of weeks to no avail. But other people report benefits. It's always hard to generalize, especially when the people who report are so enthusiastic and the ones who are not enthusiastic don't report. So I guess you just have to sort of amass some statistics. I can't really provide you any from my own experience. Yeah, makes sense, makes sense. We've got a few more people
0: joining the meeting. Hey guys, welcome. We've got, uh, we've got Eric and Dustin just joined. Welcome guys. Please feel free to shout out your questions right into the chat window there. We've got another question just coming in. So I'm gonna read this out. And the question here, again, referring to the last session on Lincoln that we had. The question is, we talked about, how we intend to continue the exploration of realities beyond your comprehension that you have previously experienced during your experiences with psychedelics. How is that going and how are you pursuing that goal? Maybe you can speak more about what that means to you. You can see that question there as well. Yeah,
1: well, uh, I have a funny take on that and it may be, somewhat disappointing to the people who are hoping for a spectacle. I mean, when uh, in these psychedelic experiences, which, you know, are kind of close cousins to dreams, there's a lot of novelty and wonder, feelings of foreignness and uh, strangeness. I'm finding for myself now, since you ask how I'm dealing with it now, maybe because I've become a therapist, over the last five years, and most of the psychedelics were before that, I'm more looking at just the subtlety in what we call normal, rather than looking for the uh, uh, you know, dramatic or um, spectacular. I'm trying to look at more subtle things. And let me give you an example of something that's coming up for me tomorrow I'm having a meeting where uh, one of these meetup meetings where I'm going to talk about passive aggression. I'm living in Canada right now and passive aggression is a a Canadian uh, uh, specialty. Um, And I realize that, you know, what passive aggression is. It means uh, it means being aggressive without being able to be called out on it. Basically, it's kind of a hidden form of uh, reprisal and what I'm realizing is that that when people do that they usually don't know they're doing it first of all that you know they behave within the cloak of normal so so they don't even know they're doing it of course you often don't know they're doing it either which is why it works it's a kind of uh kick your feet out from under you tactic But even further than that, and more importantly, that particular behavior reflects a lot of self-hatred, which uh, you're not only aware, you're not only not aware that you're doing it, but you're often not aware of your own self-loathing. And so that's a kind of, that's an interesting answer to your question, because I think a lot of people in a kind of a materials Materialist way would love to have every have their cake and eat it too, and find new horizons um, you know that are richer and uh, more ecstatic and uh, dramatic and so forth. And I'm starting to feel, or at least I'm looking more closely, at what we consider normal. So uh, normal is not very normal in most cases. I tell most of my clients we're all crazy and you should embrace that because that's your way out of being normal. That's where the spectacular lies in the craziness. And you know, that's not really that wild a statement. A lot of artists have echoed something like that. So um let me just read your question again. Realities beyond your comprehension. Well, yeah, so I think there's two directions there. There's the the realities that are so far out you can't comprehend them like they're non-local and they're atemporal and they're universal and cosmic and so forth. But they are also realities that are subtle within you. You have to take yourself apart and see, you know, how are you gluing your personality together? And, you know, and how does this sort of conveyor belt of reality make itself seem real when if you look at it more closely, it's really a bunch of, uh, you know, snapshots and gears and biases, preconceptions and prejudices. Because when you start taking that apart, a lot of stuff opens up. Y- you get in in a funny kind of way to the same sense of groundless chaos that you get in a psychedelic trip where you can't find your body anymore. You know, once you start losing your personality or shedding your personality whether it's going up or going down, there's a a lot of contemplative, a lot of contemplation to be done. So that's my answer. What do you think about that, Chris?
0: I think that's very interesting. Reality is beyond our comprehension, as you say. It depends what our comprehension is. And we're very constrained in our everyday mindsets having been conditioned since birth by the rules of this physical, what we call consensus reality. So when you go into the lucid dream world, and you start to explore the realities there, then you can start to play a little bit with the rules of reality, although it's still, we're still basically an organic brain that's been grown in a certain environment since birth according to my way of thinking so it's we can't escape completely from that but we can start to twist and tinker with some of the rules of reality you know you can try to break down a a lucid dream scene and you can try to dissolve the physical element. You can try to dissolve the scene itself into pure consciousness, let's say. So that would be quite similar to, you know, a sort of meditative, or as you mentioned before, a sort of sensory deprivation or a psychedelic uh, experience, you know, sort of all avenues towards breaking out of that everyday mindset that sort of monkey mind so i guess i guess comprehension is you know to try and tackle the question comprehension as we comprehend every day we sort of take things through our filter through our linguistic semantic filter we tend to think in terms of words which again at least in our culture, all rooted in logic through history, rooted in we have a logical, semantic way of thinking and that guides our comprehension. But when we go to lucid dreaming or psychedelics or any other form of altered consciousness, then we have the ability to negate, to some extent, those three concepts those, those um, trained pathways in the brain and um, yeah that, that that can be very interesting
1: um, let me give an example of uh, a way to look at this I had a very strange dream last night mm. uh, it could have been triggered by a number of things I, I do find that through this work I become quite emotionally sensitive Um, and so things that I might ignore normally resonate in me. So, uh, you know, with a few things that anytime a few things happen to me, it often imprints my subconscious. So I had these strange dreams last night and I'll just give you a couple of scenes. I was with my son, we were going to take the car to an auto mechanic, (laughs) went to where His shop was supposed to be and found that we had to walk down this long, say, you know, 100 meter corridor, which was um, created by a curtain on one side and a wall on the other, not understanding what we were doing. And when we got to the other end, we got to the auto shop, but it was instead of uh, being horizontal with you know, my auto mechanic friend, Walt, working on cars, the shop was vertical and things were sort of protruding from the vertical wall. And then in a slightly later scene, a man entered the shop carrying a styrofoam glider, which he was going to put together and fly in and I asked him a few questions, and it turned out he he was just gonna jump off a nearby hill, and and so things went like this. You know, they were reasonable questions, and uh, I made reasonable statements to him, and he answered reasonably in a completely ludicrous environment. You know, there were other things to the dream. When I woke up, I was uh, fairly confounded about some of these symbols, What I'm thinking now is again, in regard to this question of realities beyond comprehension, I think it's valuable to think that those strange, irrational and crazy pictures in the dreams are actually the real pictures. And that this order and sense that I would like to make of things is the unreal picture. Mm -hmm. So that uh, rather than feeling lost in the dream, and rooted in my reality, I think it would be much more healthy to accept the dream's craziness as having much more content and uh, feeling that the desire to turn it into comprehensible reality is just a kind of castration of it. I don't know what the messages were in those symbols, but I'm pretty sure that, uh, you know, to use a Metaphor, you know, higher consciousness was trying to communicate with me. And if I can't understand it, it's not that I was trying to, uh, to exactly reach beyond, um, normal. It's that I was just too stupid. And I am too stupid, you know. So instead of like thinking, oh, we are here. How can we make ourselves bigger? I think it might be safer to assume that we are really. Thick, You know, re- really stupid and that our, our brains, particularly the right side of our brains, tries with great effort to show us the reality in symbolic form and we're just too small-minded to get it. It's very interesting, it's very interesting,
0: calls into effect our whole
1: comes down to comprehension again doesn't it comprehension so like if if you if you would imagine that you were speaking to your dog and you were able to show them in symbols something about human reality you know and then the dog became lucid would the dog know what to ask you you know the dog would say where's the food or uh you know, scratch my itch. So that um, I think the question we could ask ourselves is, if we're trying to be lucid, you know, are we just going to be lucid morons? Or are we going to try, are we going to accept the kind of lucidity that's transcendent? Is it okay to be lucid and ask crazy questions? You know, you'd say, oh, that's not lucid. Well, you know, if you're dealt a crazy symbol, I think you should be Matching it, uh probably, you know, asking for a simple explanation of a crazy dream symbol is like the dog asking for where the food is when you're trying to explain environmental degradation or something. Yeah, mm. uh,
0: you know. we had a couple more people join the call in the interim, yeah. so we've got Rosalind. Welcome, Rosalind. Uh, so, guys, if if you want to throw in your questions please just type them in the chat window, Eric, Rosalind, Devin, any questions you guys are curious about, throw them out there and we'll jumble them through our brains and see what comes out the other side. I was interested, Lincoln, that you started talking about animals because that's always been something that's very curious to me, which is, you know, how do other animals comprehend reality? Because we are animals, right? We are animals and we... Take our sense data in a certain way from our eyes, our ears, our noses, our mouths, our skin, and we we interpret this sense data, and we're skewed. We're very visually oriented, and we're skewed, which is why our lucid dreams tend to be quite visually oriented for the most part. You know, other animals, like bats, for example, are virtually blind as far as I'm aware, and most of their reality. Is based on auditory uh, data I believe something like that and other animals you know they have uh, mainly olfactory or smell so to go back to the question of exploring realities beyond our comprehension through lucid dreaming one one thing you could try uh, Dustin might be interesting is if you get to a lucid state uh, where you have control and you have a stable dream is you might try closing your eyes, for example. So you shut off your visual field. So that's going to shut down your main human input data. And then you're going to be able to concentrate on your other uh, input streams. So you might try uh, focusing on um, smell or sound and, and maybe put things out there. You know you can visualize uh, not only with your visual sense, but you can visualize um, in you can visualize smells and sounds too. Or perhaps visualize is not the correct word. But you can experience synesthesia uh, during uh, dreams as well. So that all these things start to become a bit mixed up. So you can smell colors, for example, or hear hear sights and lots of other strange uh, configurations. So it might be interesting to, to see how far you could take that by closing your eyes and, and meditating in a particular sense and seeing, you know, what kind of questions you can ask or what kind of senses you can imagine, let's say. It's probably quite possible to start imagining another language, for example, speaking in another language. Um, or, or imagining the smells from uh, a distant planet. You know, imagine a planet, for example, that didn't have any life forms on it that could see. It could be inhabited entirely by life forms that only smell. So maybe, uh, yeah, next time, one one thing you could use which would be quite viable uh, is, to, is to start visualising different smells and and trying to map out a dream in terms of smells and uh, even you, you could try to do that probably uh, quite successfully maybe try to wrap up that in by focusing on emotions as well so
1: focusing on emotions uh, and smells because we do let me
0: add,
1: let me add something please do um also on the animal <clears throat> angle i i see there are other questions but i'll make this quick y- you know that As we understand animal perception and behavior more, we start to realize that animals, other animals do things very differently from us. Um, uh, Two quick examples are, birds don't have depth of field like we do. You know, we have to change our focus to look from near to far. And they apparently have complete or near complete depth of focus where they see near and far in focus at the same time. They also see almost 360 degrees around their head. And given the way they have to fly through things, it seems clear that they can navigate. Whereas we see in a very narrow focal point that we move around. So that uh, our sense of presence is not like other animals. We have a very limited sense of presence and we rely on our memory and filling in what we think is around us to um, give us our reality, and the other thing I wanted to mention is that uh, many animals—they may not talk—but I think they remember things much better than we do. You know, squirrels and birds that hide things—they may hide, you know, ten thousand nuts, and they apparently do remember where where they all are. Wow. And I don't think we could do that. And if you recognize that your identity and your reality is very much based in memory. If you've ever been around somebody with advanced Alzheimer's or dementia, you know that once they lose that memory, they're pretty much gone. So if you could imagine, or in your dream, or, you know, a a wider sense of memory, and dreams, in fact, are often inscrutable because they're calling in memories from all sorts of places. So Chris says, you know, think in terms of auditory or, or smell, and I would add, think in terms of memory or sight. You know, just, just blow your own mind by, even before you're lucid dreaming, just imagining, going on imaginary trips where you have the memory of everything that has gone on in the last 48 hours or the last 48 days. So I just wanted to throw that in. And I thought at this point, maybe we'd go into these other questions that have come up. Wonderful. Wonderful stuff that's fascinating. Maybe we'll return to that topic of memory.
0: Um, but yeah, let's take this question. Uh, we've got one here from Dustin Nice. We'll come back to that one because uh, we've got one here from Dustin Morris. Um, this is Dustin Morris's first question, so we'll take that one first and we'll come back to Dustin Nice. So, I was skimming Mr. Stoller's book the other day and came across a curious statement. Don't manifest an energy more powerful than ourselves. I'm trying to find where I read that again, but my question is, what did you mean by that? What would be an example?
1: That comes from um, the advice that spirit channels. Anderson Reed is the person I like the most. Anderson Reed isn't alive anymore. I think she lived in Seattle. I could be wrong. I think she died. Uh, 20 years ago and um, she has a book called I think it's called Howling at the Wolf or Howling at the Wolves and uh, she has a very straightforward approach to, um, to spirits and entities um, which I'm always trying to map into dreams and dream experiences she makes the point which I was trying to make or alluding to in the quote that Dustin mentions, that when you're passing into a reality in which you're unfamiliar, you're necessarily vulnerable. You're vulnerable to accepting what's presented to you, to uh, acting on what you perceive, to um, feeling what comes to you. And her point was that that's always going to be the case when you're moving to a another level of consciousness, uh, some place you're not familiar with. And her point, at least from the point of view of a spirit medium, was that uh, in those realms, other entities exist, and that they have some autonomous power, you know, to some extent you have to give it to them, or to some extent you may already have given it to them. And they're not all positive, so that if you're going to go into a new environment, you're like a blind person trying to cross the highway. You should have some sense of guidance, um, so that uh, you shouldn't manifest a environment that's potentially hazardous to you without having some grounding or some guidance or some alliance. That was her point. And I think that's, that's good in general. I think in many cases, when we're dreaming or well, this was part of my whole point in writing this book is that we're always dreaming. The idea that you're going to be lucid in a dream is slightly Uh, absurd because you're not even lucid now. So all these different states allow lucidity. They allow different levels of intentionality. Dreams are almost more forgiving because once you get lucid, you can do things. In this conscious state, you have a very hard time of becoming lucid because the reality does not forgive you for uh, being creative Uh, You know, you talk crazy on the street and um, you'll get blowback right away do that in your dreams, you'll get a quite a different response. So um, my point was, if you're going to go into other realities intentionally or if you find yourself going into other realities, the first thing you should do is look for grounding. Look for an ally or create an ally, you know, ask for an ally. So in one of the questions was, you know, do I lucid dream a lot? And I actually try not to lucid dream too much because I want to go into new spaces. Lucidity is somewhat an effort to control, which, you know, almost by definition means make familiar. And I kind of want to go to the unfamiliar. So what I try to do rather than lucid dream in the normal sense is I try to kind of flip out with some sense of guidance. So I really do try to find grounding in incomprehensible places. And I don't really, you know, if I find myself in a dream, I don't really want to say, oh, there's a wall. I want to walk through it. What I want to say is it's beyond being a wall. I don't, you know, it's like beginner's mind. I want to have beginner's mind. And with beginner's mind in a dangerous world, you kind of want to have some safety. So I think my point as best as I can sort of circumambulate it is that um, be careful what energies you conjure because you could find yourself bringing in energies that are, you know, to put it very simply, the bad side of yourself. You know, given that we have many sides, so that's my answer to that question. And the question actually extends.
0: Dustin says, "Thank you for answering my question. Good ideas. I'm not very familiar with channeling spirits." Quote unquote. Is this like a séance or like moving into an animal spirit within a lucid dream? Can you please explain the channeling phenomena?
1: You know, I don't have a lot of personal experiences channel. I have some, usually when you get very emotional, you often feel like something's speaking through you. Also, when you become very creative, you often feel like something is coming through you. I think both of those are channeling experiences. The typical channeling experience is where an identifiable persona speaks from another point of view that's not uh, physically recognizable and not personally you. And so some people say, well, that's an entity that exists in some other dimension and you know had some other life. But an, as a therapist, I often find people speak with voices that represent aspects of their own personality they haven't developed. So they may speak from the voice of their grandmother because their grandmother Built in them a worldview that was important to them, and 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 that they have nurtured, and that has its own voice, even though it's unfamiliar and it speaks from you know the other side of the veil. Um, it's often the case that there are personalities within you that have or not that have a degree of autonomy that you're not familiar with it sounds spooky and it sounds weird. And I think it's actually made much more simple if you just think of them as spirits. I don't know if they are. I think that may be more or less appropriate depending on the message. But uh, you know, it's pretty easy to find yourself in contact with these spirits when you put yourself in an extreme position. You know, like if you're extremely frightened or if you're uh, extremely in love or if you're extremely uh, stressed out, it's pretty easy to pause and say, who's who's in control now? Who's really making the decisions in my mind? And if you relax, you'll often get a flow of images or thoughts that represent a point of view that... Um, that is trying to work its way out. So that's what I mean by an energy. And, and you know it can be anything. Some people talk to spirits regularly. You know the people that um, at Findorn, and there's a guy in Washington State nearby me um, uh, at the Lorien Foundation, David uh, something his name skips my mind, who, who has a whole industry based on channeling messages from subtle energies and i'm very interested in that but i you know dreaming is as close as i've gotten so far um and you dustin may have different opportunities and um encounters
0: it's very interesting i'll I'll chuck something in there lincoln as well it's because what you mentioned about the concept of spirits and different personalities within ourselves is quite fascinating. And there's actually quite a bit of scientific uh, backing for that idea. You know, we have the phenomenon of what we now call disassociative identity disorder, or what was used to be called multiple personality disorder, where it's well known now that we can disassociate from our everyday ego and, and fragment quite easily. That's, that's very well known now. So when, when we talk about other personalities or basically accessing energy, whether it be an elusive dream or um, otherwise, we're basically disassociating, right? We're disassociating from our normal everyday ego. We're unattaching from it and we're seeking uh, a new experience. So that's something that could probably be explored and will probably count as a alternate experience of consciousness as per the last question
1: as well. Let um, me answer this question which we missed. Um, uh, it's a general question. Dustin asks, how frequently do you lucid dream and do you typically have an intent or goal or when you become lucid, what are you able to act on? And uh, I wanted to throw the idea out that um, I'm not sure how to answer that because I'm not sure what lucid is. I mean, I wrote this book called Becoming Lucid and like most of the things I study, the more I learn about it, the less I know about it. So, you know, if I wrote two books, I'd now know half as much, it seems. But um, what I tend to do is I approach sleep very mindfully. I often uh, wake up a lot at night, either because I sleep outdoors and I'm always disrupted by something, if not the sunrise, then something else. Or I stay up late at night and then I have to sort of, uh, then I'm woken up by noise in the morning and have to get back to sleep. I wake up a lot, which is good for dreaming. You know, if I didn't do that by accident, I should probably do it by intention added to that, I'm very mindful about my dreams, I'm very interested in my dreams, I look to my dreams for guidance even though I'm frustrated that they don't give me the clarity I want. I try to go to sleep pointing myself in a good direction, by which I mean, you could mean several things, but in what I mean is I try to resolve the stresses of the day in a positive way. You know, I'll do ceremonial things, like I'll take the people who have bothered me or behaved badly during the day, and I'll create them in my mind and I'll I'll wrap them in white light and I'll, you know, send nurturance to them and um and I'll 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 call together the strengths that i have and the things that i'm grateful for so that i'm i'm in a positive state and you know it would be nice to think that uh that kind of provides me with an entree into some sort of blissful happy dreaming world but it doesn't what it usually does or seems to do is conjure up even greater questions and even deeper levels of confusion and i just figure That's what it's supposed to be for me, at least, you know, the more I ask the more confusing answers I get. And, um, you know, I'll just take that until it's just too much and then I'll, you know, take a vacation or something, you know, stop doing it for a while. But I do dream a lot in these dreams. I am partially lucid, but not lucid in the typical, uh, you know, write the whole script and uh, move the camera wherever I want kind of sense. I'm just present. I try to be present, I'd say. So that's my answer for that one. Present, indeed, indeed.
0: I'll jump in with my experience as well. That this, I, I dream lucid dream in terms of actual lucid dreams now about probably once a month. I used to dream, a few years ago, I was probably once or twice a week, but I found that to maintain that level of or that frequency of lucid dreaming required quite a lot of effort and input from me. So during that period, of, you know, I was experimenting quite heavily with supplements. I was doing a lot of waking in the night, purposely setting alarms, uh, and being extremely uh, diligent about it. My dream recall was through the roof. Um, but, you know, that takes a toll. Uh, and I, I wanted lucid dreaming to be a, a, a long-term part of my life, basically for the rest of my life. And so I had to take the decision to tone it down a bit. And I, these days I sort of enjoy my lucid dreaming more when it comes, so when I what I do these days is i'll I'll wait for the opportunity to present itself more than chasing it. Um, I find that more resourceful. I would like to luci to to put more effort into my practice, I guess, but I have other obligations. I have family, I have young children, My sleep cycles are not as uh, predictable or indeed as long as they used to be. So, with life, responsibility, and all these kind of things, that sort of forced me to pull it back a bit. Um, I still maintain my dream journal from time, you know. And I still my dream recall is still pretty good, and I look into my dreams. It's not just about lucid dreams, right? It's this lifestyle is about dreaming. It's lucid dream and dreaming, right? It's not just about lucid or not, you know, as Lincoln was saying, it's, it's like, it's are you lucid at all is, is a question right? and there are degrees of lucidity and sometimes the most lu- useful, useful um, dreams are you're not lucid at all, so um, that's another side of it, that's my experience. Uh, there's a question here from Rosalind, hi Rosalind, I'll read your question. I have always wondered why we sleep and dream for a third of the day anyway. I feel like I have two lives, one on this planet during the day and another life and job somewhere else at night. When I can't sleep or I'm on international flight, I feel my subconscious telling me you have things to do and commitments in the other place. So you have to leave Earth for a while to get them done. Very interesting indeed. What do you think about this one,
1: I I think that's a way of saying that a person feels a strong reality in both worlds. You know, some people dismiss certain States and put all their faith in other States. I would, I would expand that more to say that, I mean, if you want, if you want a, a very simple and incorrect, way of looking at things might be that when you're awake, you're working from the left side of your brain. And when you're asleep, you're, you know, working from the right side of your brain. I mean, that, that's uh, laughably simple, but I think it reflects somewhat of what I feel is that um, it's not just asleep and awake. It's, you know, your state in either. So, so obviously there are different worlds asleep and awake, but that's not enough if you replace the word word lucidity with enlightenment, which is also somewhat laughable, but uh, if you did just, you know, for uh, shits and giggles, you know, you might ask, uh, am I enlightened when I'm awake? And am I enlightened when I'm asleep? Um, And then the question isn't so much that uh, enlightenment when you're asleep is the same as being awake. I guess that's my point. For me, lucidity is... A higher state and it's not just waking up because I, I don't think, you know, waking up isn't so great. My world's full of confusion and uncertainty and lack of control and I want more than that. Awake or asleep. I mean, it's not just enough to jump through walls in dreams because the walls are symbolic. You're really trying to navigate a different world. There's a, there's a different machine to, to uh, locomote yourself so you know what is what is the work to be done i definitely think it's different work to do when you're asleep from when you're awake and you know from what we know if people are deprived sleep they go nuts or they you know die or something so it's definitely work that needs to be done so the question remains uh and and i'd like to go back to therapy for a minute because i think you know everybody should become a therapist i advise everyone you know we already are to some extent, but understand other people and understand what their barriers are, because it reflects on us. So, you know, I I think with my therapy clients, why can't they see certain things? And I say, well, why can't I see certain things? And uh, so I would say in your dreams, why can't you in your dreams see certain things? And that's what I would make an effort to do where lucidity is concerned not just be wakeful in sleep but to see more clearly what's really in that world so sorry if that's not well you didn't really ask any questions so i guess it's fair to ramble on a bit but that's the the gist of my response well it's a very interesting response it's a very interesting question
0: so one i think the way that rosalind you're thinking about this is actually know it's the right way of thinking about this because in our society here in the west we're so divorced from the importance of our dreams that it's it's almost comical you know it's it's so we've placed such little importance on the on our dreams in today's mainstream society that it's very unhealthy you know the the typical Approach is totally wrong and you know apart from people like Jung and Freud that tried to bring this into the West but they've been right downtrodden um, in recent years you know it's it's all rather um, rather wrong so when you say I feel my subconscious telling me you have things to do and commitments in the other place that is much more aligned to our nature as human beings, I feel, than mainstream um, Western culture today would suggest. And I mean, look at the Zosa, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, the Zosa of Southeast Africa, who I like to refer to frequently. And these guys, their entire culture is based around dreaming. And they have these uh, ceremonies that they carry out uh, with Celine Capensis, where he, you know, they grew up the roots and they slaughter the ox and they rub the ox with the throthy saline capensis mm-hmm. mixture and they drink the blood of the ox mixed with the saline capensis, And they believe, their belief, which is somewhat aligned with Jung's theory of the collective unconscious, mm-hmm. is that they're receiving wisdom from their ancestors from their dreams. And so, you know, if you were to go to... Southeast Africa and become a member of the Zosa tribe, then what you're saying there would be accepted as quite normal, most likely, um, which is quite a dramatic, um, a dramatic, the word I'm looking for where you compare two things side by side, comparison, quite a dramatic comparison, let's say, juxtaposition, even, perhaps, between the two things, right? It's like, black and white, and we're way too much on the black in the mainstream here. So so bear that in mind and be kind on yourself for feeling these things, because that's quite natural, quite correct to be oriented that way and to place that,
1: that level of importance on your dreams. Let me add an idea here. I don't want to go too wild on you, but um, I've been thinking more recently about, well, you talk about the collective unconscious, and I don't know if this word exists, but I think there's a collective conscious, um, which I notice in sort of group behavior. And we know groups can act strangely in extreme situations, but I notice that groups act strangely in normal situations. I think there's a lot of collective conscious influencing our waking and perhaps dreaming life that we're not aware of in the same sense that, you know, fish breathe water and they don't think about it. But I think that our collective conscious, that is to say, the ideas or the memes or the social attitudes that float around have a certain life of their own. Which may not be such a wild thing to say, but if you consider that you know Jung and Freud and the other people who did, you know Adler and many other people who did psychoanalysis were basically beaten down by pharmaceuticals, you can see it as sort of the cultural repression of the unconscious. Whereas we used to uh, think that you know exploration was needed and therapeutic, now for the most part pharmaceuticals just repress it you know if you look at the state of the world and global warming or these various other collective effects it's very clear that there are there are um, collective conscious trends pushing us to think certain ways about what's going on around us to react certain ways so I haven't lived in Australia but I would bet that if I did, it would seem like a foreign culture to me because I moved from the U.S. to Canada, and I can tell you Canada seems like a foreign culture to me. As I tell people, I've felt more at home in Mongolia than I feel in Canada, and it's all because of things that people do without even knowing they're doing it. If, if there's stuff in your world that you're not aware of, this collective conscious or collective unconscious, then I would hope, or, and we could ask, that it be revealed to us in dreams. And, and in a sense, you know, I, I can't say th- this is more detailed or wider, I don't know. But it's, it's greater kind of lucidity. And as I said before, if you consider the images in your dreams to be more realistic in terms of reflecting what's going on around you than the sort of limited, filtered reality that you accept every day, I think you'll be on the right track. 100%
0: agree with you you, Lincoln, on the cultural repression of dreaming. That's really uh, quite a bold statement, but I feel like that's a really uh, truthful statement because it is pretty much that at that level. Um, I had another few people join as well. So, Meryl, welcome. Fred, welcome. And Eileen, welcome to the Q&A. Please chuck your questions in there, guys. There's a little chat window on the right-hand side. So, please just type them in, throw them in there, and we'll tackle them. In the meantime, we had another couple of questions flow through, Um, the first one from uh, Dustin Neese: Do you feel like dreaming or lucid dreaming is part of a spiritual, quote unquote, practice for you? And if so, how? Lincoln, your thoughts?
1: Well, I definitely do my notion of spiritual is pretty much aligned with my notion of lucid. In fact, I think I would discard both spiritual and enlightenment and use the word lucid for both of them. I'm not too interested in what any one dogma tells me that I should be, whether it's, you know, Christian or Buddhist or shamanist. I'm more interested, maybe the scientist in me, Makes me more interested in what's out there. I take the notion of balance, response, feedback, insight, dysfunction, pathology, and I believe that I can get better answers to all of these things if I become m- more aware of what's going into the environment and have a better memory of what's going on around me so that i can sort of you know connect the dots i can see the dots under a microscope and i can connect the dots better and to me that's become a spiritual practice so that now i should mention this whereas i started as a scientist and you could see that that was kind of you know metaphysically spiritual quest toward understanding and then i became and then i did this, these psychedelics for many decades and that's kind of spiritual for many people transcendent and then I became a therapist and certainly that's very spiritual because you're really tinkering with people's notions of uh, purpose and meaning it comes out in many ways and now I'm trying to move into the notion to the area of uh, executive coaching where I'm not dealing with people who think they're dysfunctional I'm dealing with people who think they are functional. And they're just as dysfunctional as anyone else. They're just looking at it from a, you know, an empowerment lens rather than a dysfunctional lens. So now the question is how do people who are successful or are sort of trying to be successful or think they have the resources to be successful, how are they deluded? You know, that, that, that's a different pathology too. Uh, Just as being depressed is pathological. So is being sort of, Overconfident or megalomaniacal or, uh, you know, various forms of extreme ability, confidence or arrogance or aggression. So we call one normal and the other abnormal and we sell, I mean, you know, I think Donald Trump is a great example. You know, here you've got the world leader. It's got to be one of the craziest people short of Adolf Hitler. And he was put there. And even though he's been there for like three years, people still don't see him for the nut he is. So maybe it's not so crazy that we have crazy people leading us. So uh, to try to, you know, close that circle, what is it about uh, being well-adjusted that's so insane? So the original question is, is this spiritual practice? Yeah, I think this is, I think these questions are spiritual questions. I I wouldn't limit them to, you know, something that you do on your deathbed looking for the light. Uh, I think you do it right now and you look at the whole thing and uh, just try to keep from hitting the rocks. To me, that's spiritual. Avoiding capsizing is spiritual. So uh, that's my answer.
0: Yeah, it's a hard question to answer. It's a very hard question to answer because the spiritual is one of those words that's so loaded and means so many different things to so many different people. Um, For me personally, yes. Yes, of course, literature is spiritual. What do I mean by that? I have no idea. I have no idea what spiritual means, actually. I, I often use the word, but do I really know what it means? I, I, I don't think I do. So um, make of that what you will. We've got a new question coming through. It's flowing in. Uh, and the question is an extension of Rosalind's, of the conversation with Rosalind. Rosalind is saying, yes, Chris, some days I feel like whatever I did in sleep was much more important than anything I did during the day, which was just feeding and looking after my body so that it will breathe enough glucose and so on ready for my next work tonight. Well that's very interesting, that's very interesting and sometimes I can see how that could absolutely be the case because inner work to me is uh, just as if not more important than what we might do day to day and I say might do because depends where we are in our lives and how oriented we are in our day-to-day work and how connected that is with our sense of purpose and meaning, uh, as Lincoln touched right. on just now. What we do, you know, I personally spent much of my youth purposely discarding my day-to-day um, I didn't place so much importance on my day-to-day work. I was so focused on inner work and discovering who I was that I didn't get very far in my, until my mid-20s, I didn't get very far in my material life because I was so focused on inner work and developing my character. That was my goal at that time. So whether that's right or wrong, or good or bad, who can say, but it's certainly a valid approach. So to say that and lucid dreaming and dreaming and working with your dreams is obviously a form of inner work. So to say that you feel that whatever you did during sleep was more important than what you did during the day may very well be the case. And it may be the case that where you are in your life at this particular time, is focused on inner work and that's very valid and necessary. And you may find that over time, you're able to orient yourself in such a way that what you do during your waking life also takes on more meaning and becomes more important. Because I think ultimately that's the purpose of inner work, right, is to find meaning within our waking lives via as well as our our dreaming lives. But it's part of the same thing. It's part of the same life, at the end in the day. So that's that's my take on on that. What do you think?
1: Um, I want to uh, say something that uh, might be interpreted as off the topic, but I think it's on the topic. Um, <coughs> or I'll try to explain. I'm thinking that uh, our waking life. I hate to harp on this sort of mind thing, but I kind of think our waking life is an analytical view of the world. You know, our sight focuses on things and our thoughts focus on things and we linearly connect things causally and temporally and we analyze and deduce. And this is a very narrow way of understanding things when we're, dreaming i think we're experiencing the world emotionally obviously we're not experiencing the world directly through our senses but we are experiencing ourself emotionally and one of the big things in therapy and i'm finding important in my own understanding is to see the role of emotion in daily life uh to to act and think and perceive more emotionally while you're awake. So if you uh, look at your dreams as an expression of emotion, and instead of trying to analyze them or wrestle them into some analytic form, you just relax and take them as emotional statements, then they don't pertain to a particular topic or a particular cause and effect, or they don't have an integrated personality, or you know, a, a solitary agent. As emotions, they come from all parts of you. There's, you know, fear and love, there's memory, there's different emotions from different times, remembered, remembered at the moment. And the whole thing is a huge chaotic mess, which is in fact you. And uh, you shouldn't be making sense of it. You should be making feeling of it. So, let me look at the question again. Yeah. I, I I guess what I'm trying to say is we should make our waking life more dreamlike and not entirely focus on making our dreaming life more wake-like. It's not exactly the flip side. They're two different efforts, but I think that they have to go forward together. I don't think your efforts in lucid dreaming Will be nearly as successful if you don't try to be more dreamlike in your waking life, because in a sense you're trying to to integrate two different, very different views of the world. They're both internal views. They come from, if you like, different sides of your head or different uh, emotion versus analysis. And um, you know, again, back to this book, becoming lucid. They're different forms of lucidity. And they they feed back with each other. Um, So there's my answer. And I guess we could, if you want, go on to Dustin's question there.
0: Yeah, let's do it, let's do it. Dustin says, have you explored dream healing? Healing physical ailments via a dream, shared dreams, precognitive dreams, or other types of dreams that seem to affect waking reality in a more concrete or direct way, roughly speaking.
1: I haven't um, been able to get people to uh, do that kind of work on command. In my therapy work, I'm always trying, since I do hypnotherapy, I'm always trying to take people into a dream space, if you will, and uh, let them allow things to enter which will be positive for them. And I encourage them to do that. And sometimes I lead them in a direction where I think they're trying to go. And yes, it's often a healing direction, or that's the intent. When I'm in control or making suggestions, it's pretty obviously healing. I don't, you know, conjure dark demonic spirits because uh, that would be irresponsible of me, you know, pertaining to our previous comment about not calling forward energies you can't handle. So I, you know, if I'm going to conjure energies, I conjure positive ones, which isn't to say I, I, you know, I don't try to create certain dissonance or amplify certain hidden problems, but I don't try to injure people. And I do encourage them to dream. And, uh, I do encourage them to give their dreams time and I do know of people not well, myself included who've had healing dreams from my experience with uh you know extreme dreaming which is that you know sensory deprivation psychedelics and other things it doesn't happen on command uh, i'd like to say that it happens when it's ready and that what one can intentionally do is make yourself more ready. There are certainly people who are not ready. Like a lot of people with physical ailments are not ready to confront the message their physical ailment presents them. And that creates or exacerbates the conflict. You know, if, if your body heals by, by being in synchrony with itself, that means you have to accept what's happening as part of a natural process. And illness is by definition something that you reject. And people who are have been through great illness and have been enlightened by it usually don't reject their illness. They embrace it or find something in it to embrace. So that's the kind of work that I find I can do more intentionally to get people ready to have what ultimately become healing dreams.
0: That that is very interesting. It's very interesting indeed. Just like this question that Merrill has put in. And the question from Merrill: is it just me or are others perplexed? Dream work seems to be dominated by psychologists and therapists who deal with people who have problems, which are of course negative. My hand is up in the air to say. I'm a really happy person with dreams that match that reality. I feel sad when I hear people looking for negative stuff in their dreams. It's almost like they've been programmed to do that. Hmm, Interesting one. What do you think about that? Um,
1: Let me read it again. I I basically agree with it, but I think there's something in it that I'm missing. Um, Is it just me or others perplexed with the idea I'll
0: jump in. Maybe I'll jump in with my thoughts while you okay, digest it. Because I think there's a certain truth to this. And I, I'll give you a personal example. I've had a few dreams recently where they've been very strange. And I've contemplated them in the morning. And I thought, well, what does this mean? And I ultimately deciphered them to be messages of support. From my subconscious. So, if you take happiness as a, which is an emotion, away from the equation, you know we all go through challenges in life, just like everybody else. So I have some challenges that I'm progressing through in my life, and I felt that these particular dreams were giving me a message or support to say, you know, you're okay. Um, you're gonna be okay, you're doing the right thing. And that was that was nice, that was healing so to speak. It was confidence boosting. So that's just a personal example. Um, but happiness of course is, is an emotion and can fluctuate depending on your experiences. You know, if something tragic happens in your life, then your happiness is right away going to plummet right down the toilet, and that's the that's the uh, the harsh thing about life is that it can do that to you uh, at any time. By the same token, of course, it, you can you might be going through a phase where you're really happy with your life, and you should expect your dreams to reflect that. As to the question, which is more around a pre-programming to look for negative problems. I, I think there probably is a leaning towards this, but that's probably only because so many people do have so many problems. That's just the reality. I mean, look at depression rates, look at suicide rates, look at antidepressant subscriptions across Western cultures. So it's no wonder that this is quite, that there are so many traumas and so many psychological issues being manifested through dreams. That doesn't surprise me. But you're quite right, Merrill, I agree with you. We have to put our hands in the air and say, look, that's not all that dream work is about. It's also about recognising your own position in life. And if you're in a happy, well-adjusted position at any given time, then that's very grounding to be able to recognise and reflect upon that. And, and yet there, there may still be things that you're able to learn from your subconscious, even given that your overall level of happiness or orientation may be high. That's not to say that you may necessarily have reached your ultimate self actualized capacity. I mean, do any of us ever reach that point? So it may be that, you know, in your particular world at this particular time, your, your focus may be less on looking for problems, but more for looking for areas to further growth, because there's always growth. right? We never stop growing until the day we die. At least that's how it should be, in my humble opinion. Maybe that answers your question. Maybe it doesn't. What what do you think, Lincoln? Did you have a chance Uh, to
1: digest? Yeah, I I have some interesting comments. I want want to take that question in a slightly different direction. I mean, uh, to answer it, yes. I mean, that's my big problem with psychologists is that it's all pathologized, uh, diagnosed, labeled, and uh, condemned. And uh, if you look into what I'm reading a lot now about the Brazilian spiritist tradition, which basically says that a good portion of what's called insanity is spiritual emergence. And they've had great success in approaching it that way, that people who are troubled are troubled with conflicts, not in what they aren't, but in being unable to fulfill who they actually are, but I'd like to take that in a slightly different direction to to note that I feel that in the last 10 or 20 years, I have basically been an unhappy person, probably because my two relationships, my two marriages have gone south, and I'm very belligerent about giving up. At the same time, it has made me very insistent on being positive. And uh, that may seem counterintuitive, but I think when you are something that you don't like, in this case, not as happy as I wanna be, you're very insistent or very intolerant about other people who create more of that. Uh, So it's like I'm a person who itches and I really don't like having other people sting me and when people come to me for therapy i really react against their notion of negativity because i'm saying there's a certain degree to which we bring this on ourselves and it's sort of spiritual work i, I mean rumi says uh you know god breaks your heart and will keep breaking your heart until it stays broken because the idea is that the more sensitive you become the more tragedy you're sensitive to. And that's a good thing, because you need to be sensitive in order to be in contact with the divine. And um, you need to be able to handle it. So my approach to my own unhappiness is that it's something to see through. It's a challenge. It's a, it's a purgatory that I don't want to erase. I don't want to paint a happy face on situations I'm not satisfied with. I mean, maybe I made these things myself. I mean, I'm happy to take responsibility. Um, And part of my work as a therapist is to sort of redeem my world by making other people happier. Sure, I'd love to work on myself and I do. And part of the way I do that is by making my life as meaningful as I can. In that, I'm kind of odd. Uh, I mean, a lot of people won't admit that they're unhappy. It's kind of socially inappropriate. But I think it's a strength. Uh, I can really relate to other people's unhappiness and I can tell them it's positive work to do. Cherish your heartbreak. Um, Be grateful for the people you encounter who can't get their shit together. Because they breathe the same air you do and uh, infect the same culture you live in. And if you bring them up, you bring yourself up. So just to get back to that question, what I'm telling you is in my mind so much beyond the notion of dysfunction that I don't have any, I just have no truck for diagnosis and negativity. It's just like, if you think you're crazy, great. What can we do with it? You know, If you think you're having nightmares, great. What are they telling you? If you think you're possessed by a demon, Fine, what is the demon trying to say to you? And um, how can you relieve the demon and the demon in other people? And why is it there? And where did it come from? And why are you carrying it? Positive work. I mean, you can, in a Christ-like way, you can consider your life to be a kind of a crucifixion. And uh, the more positive work you'll do depends on the more negative work you can transform. And you know, I can imagine other people don't agree with me and that's fine. That's my take on therapy. You're not sick. You're, you're transforming if possible. I mean, yeah, maybe you have to have your broken hip fixed, but okay. Um, whatever.
0: Wise words. And Devin adds into it and says, it's like alchemy. It seems like a lot of growth for people comes from pain forces us to change.
1: Yeah, it sure does. You can't, you can't deny it. Hmm.
0: And we shouldn't necessarily expect to be happy 100% of the time.
1: You know? Embrace. Well, it's, it's as much as you can bear, you know? I mean, I, I mean, I think of like the Dalai Lama or, you know, some saintly figure. I expect these people have very rapid access to suffering. Oh, there's a Christopher Bach book you should look at. Christopher Bach's an interesting guy. I think it's Chris Bach. Um, he's had, he's been writing about LSD experiences in which he says he's, he he confronts suffering that's so great that he can't bear it. He can't imagine it. He can't figure out where it comes from. It's like he's, he's experiencing the entire suffering of the world in a moment. I've had some wise people tell me, you know, that he's just fucked up. Um. And other people who say he's tapping into uh, universal suffering. So I mean, it's I don't I certainly can't say one is right and one is wrong. I think you have to say, I think to have a transcendent view, you have to say you're being given the work that you can do, and and can you come up to the bar, and how much of it can you do? Because what you don't do is just going to get left over for your, you know, children to do mm. love your phrase
0: insistent on being positive yes yes and yes we bring this on ourselves are not our dreams of our own making if we're having negative dreams they are our dreams we made them yes I agree we're not sick we're transforming well said I'm speaking on of metal there yeah yeah I agree with that mm. Awesome conversation, awesome conversation. Got a question here from Dustin Nice, and I'm going to read it out. And it says, hey, Lincoln, I just wanted to say that your book is excellent and I really appreciated the opportunity to read and benefit from it. Congratulations on a very solid work. I've recommended it to a friend as well and I hope you have great success with it.
1: Well, I, I, I ask you to... Uh I believe it has no reviews on Amazon. Uh, So give it some reviews. It needs a few stars. I've really just started that process. Because in this case, I didn't do all this pre-publicity stuff. I just published it. I hate to say it, but uh, you can measure the best work by how much it's ignored. um, You know, I read a lot of very popular work and it's really kind of mediocre. So uh, I appreciate the uh, I definitely appreciate the support and encourage you to tell people about it. Well we uh, don't want you to just be more we, we do not want this to be a posthumously appreciated
0: work. So I'm putting the yeah, link buddy, link right now. The next question here from Rosalind. And Rosalind would like to know, can you give me the book reference? The God sensitive
1: idea. Um, I think you're talking about uh, Anderson Reed's shouting at the wolf. Is that the one where the medium says, Be careful when you move into a higher consciousness that you're not uh, without a guide? Uh, if, if, that, if I'm connecting what I had said with your question, that that's the reference. The book's out of print, and uh, I don't know how easy it is to get anymore. Shouting at the Wolf. Shouting at the Wolf. And I think her name is Anderson Reed. It was a pen name, and it was spelled R-E-E-D. Meryl says, I apologize for interjecting this. My wife shared
0: a dream yesterday, and she said, OMG, we found our friend dead in his bedroom, and no one wanted to help us with the body." where does this kind of terrible dream come from to which i replied my darling we watched waking ned divine before we went to bed we both laughed with hearty laugh
1: <laughs> is that the movie about the the irishman who wins the lottery and then dies i think that is and then his town tries to fake that he's alive so that they can get the money i think that's the movie it was a great movie. I liked it. It wasn't very popular, but I liked it.
0: Yeah, it could be. We so we I personally often do dream fragmented elements of reality if I've watched a engaging movie or some other thing. And yeah, I, I think I get where you're coming from. There, this sometimes there's no deeper meaning behind these fragments, right?
1: Um, well, I, I think you have. To, I mean, just to go back. I do talk about this in the book, but just to repeat it, I think you have to be very circumspect about interpreting a dream from your from the, the meaning that symbols have in your waking life. Because the meaning symbols have in your waking life is very small. You know, it's like drawing with uh, three crayons instead of a pack of 80 colors. The meaning of things in dreams is not literal. It's always emotional, allegorical, referential, and not particularly unified. There is no, I really believe this is true in almost every case, there is never one meaning to a dream. The dream is, is, is the hubbub of your many subconscious voices talking at once. And uh, if you could imagine a room full of people shouting out different stories and you trying to piece together the few bits you get, that's what your dream is. I think it would be fair to take any dream symbol and expand it into its own story. Um, You know, so if you find a dead body, the question is, who is it? Where is it? Why is it? What's the circumstance? You know, and they may not make sense, and each of them may have their own transcendent uh, potential. That wasn't the question. That was my response.
0: Yeah, I sometimes feel like maybe 90% of my dreams, I'm able to define some kind of meaning or symbolism. The other 10%, I can't. That doesn't necessarily
1: mean that there isn't some kind of message there. Let me give you an example. I want to, since we're probably getting near the end, I want to give these sort of important examples. I talked to a guy who had PTSD because he um, was a Canadian. He fought in the Vietnam War and saw the kind of horrific stuff that one sees in war, which I think it's fair to say is much more common and more horrific than we're led to believe. And in one of his stories, He had to witness a young girl dying of typhus because there were no drugs to cure her. It traumatized him. And the way he resolved this trauma was dreamlike. He imagined or he uh, experienced this dead girl's spirit, taking him down into the underworld and showing him that she was fine And that the whole experience was transformative and that he had many opportunities to use this energy for the betterment of himself and the world. What he basically did was he dreamed the extension of reality into a form of um, kind of heavenly, heavenly transcendence. None of it was real in the sense that, uh, He wasn't able to make it happen at the time, but it changed him entirely and gave him humor, strength, and spirit from something that was, you know, on the face of it, just a total hellish nightmare. So, um, you know, when a dream comes to you and presents you with a horrible image, what it's saying is, here, buddy, make this, turn this into gold. You know, because if you can turn the worst into gold, then you're a very powerful person.
0: Wise words once again. Okay, looks like we've answered all the questions, guys, in this Q&A. It's 11.37 a.m., at least here it is in Sydney, Australia, which means we've been going for over 90 minutes now. So we'll wrap up. And if anybody has any more questions after the fact, then please do share them. On the comments on the Academy posts page where I will upload the recording from this Q&A and um, we can answer them there really enjoyed this conversation today guys hope that was resourceful for you all and thank you Lincoln that was awesome and Everybody have an amazing night and plentiful dreams.
1: See you all soon. Okay. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, everybody.